It's time for your NBA fix. This is the Big Show Daily Assist. Featuring all the latest news and insight on the association. Now joining the Big Show. Senior NBA writer Howard Beck on 97.5-1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. It's time to get out to the T-Mobile special guest line. T-Mobile and Sprint are coming together to build the best wireless company around. Visit T-Mobile.com for online services and local store availability. He joins us every Friday. He's our friend Howard Beck. Hello, Howard. How are you? Doing well, fellas. How are you? Hey, we're doing great. We're just talking about uh, the Heat. They've only lost one game in the playoffs and now two games to none in the Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, what's what's clicking with this team, Howard? Well, I think you guys know I've been high on them all season going back to whenever the heck it was, um, 17 years ago when the season <laughs> first started. Um, and I, I could, have, could not have anticipated they would be this dominant, but I've always been a Jimmy Butler guy. And I'm a big believer in what the Miami Heat um, do. But, you know, culture is overused, but the culture they build, the development that they put into their players. I, I knew that they would be strong, and I thought they had a chance to be a dark horse in the East. And by the time the playoffs started, I thought they, they've got a path to the conference finals minimum. Um, so I'm not surprised. What they're doing well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put in like the simplest possible terms. They're really connected. They really play really well together. Steve Nash was just on J.J. Reddick's podcast, and he used the word connectivity multiple times when talking about coaching, when talking about the great teams, when talking about what he saw in the Lakers, for instance, that even though they didn't have the depth of, say, the Clippers, or even the Nuggets, for that matter, there was a connectivity that Nash sees in the Lakers. That's what I see in the Heat, and I saw even from opening night, I happened to be down there for opening night, they share the ball. They have a dominant player in Jimmy Butler whose numbers don't scream dominant. He does not put up James Harden numbers or Russ Westbrook numbers or Kevin Durant numbers. But if you look at what Jimmy Butler does every night, the way he plays defense, the way he leads, and then he'll take the big shots toward the end if need be. And, and, and the other night was, or last night was it, making you know, two huge defensive plays. But he's not looking to dominate the ball or dominate the offense. And so that means that Tyler Hero gets you know, a chance to shine and is always in rhythm. And it means that Duncan Robinson is always in rhythm and Bam Adebayo is a key part of this. And so, no, they don't have the, the offensive players or the kinds of stars that pop off the page, although Jimmy Butler has that in him. And at times we'll, we'll pull out one of those games, a 30- or 40-point game. But he doesn't look to dominate the offense that way. And, and you know, I, I like that kind of basketball. I like when the ball is moving and players are moving and the ball is shared. Um, and I, I, and I, they're, they're equally connected on defense, and they're ferocious on defense. And so I think the Celtics have more overall, especially offensive talent, with, between Kemba and Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. You've got three guys who can all create for themselves or for teammates. They're all really potent, really versatile offensive players, and the Heat don't have that. But I think the Heat are playing better together right now than the Celtics are. Man, you nailed it there. And, Howard, from my observation, it seems as though uh, as the Heat are so connected, the Celtics, they're, they're melting down. They blow a 17-point lead. They go into iso ball a little bit. Uh, uh, they struggle against the Heat zone. Brad Stevens holds a late-night meeting with team leaders. What's going on with that team? I can only speculate. Obviously, I'm not in the bubble. Um, but one of the things that happens with young talent in this league 
And it's the reason why young talent often doesn't win or why they have to take their lumps first and then, you know, stick their tail between their legs, go out, you know, take the offseason, think about what went wrong, come back the next year and try to get a little further. Is that sometimes young talent doesn't know how best to channel their talent or work with their teammates. And so when, when things get tight, when things get desperate, when, when things, you know, the pressure turns up, if you're a Jason Tatum or a Jalen Brown and you can create a ton on your own, Sometimes you you you're, it's, you're lulled into that into that option. You know you you stop doing the things, the more patient approach to the offense that got you a lead in the first place. Now I don't know if that was exactly what happened last night. I have to go rewatch, but um, that is the kind of thing that happens when you have supreme young talent. Is that sometimes they want to do a little too much on their own, and it is it is, it is as old as the game itself, I think, or at least the NBA game. And so maybe it's a little of that. Um, Maybe, you know, they uh, are, are just, you know, it, it could be a little bit on the defensive side, too, um, that that they're just not handling, you know, because Miami, one of the advantages of what Miami does is that, as I was alluding to earlier, by sharing the ball and having it move around, it means your defense has to work that much harder. Um, it's not just stopping the first guy or the second guy. You're, you're having to try to stop every option as they, you know, reverse the ball and everything else. And I think, you know, perhaps the Celtics are breaking down a little bit there, too. But, yeah, I mean, they'll spin it as a positive that, hey, they're yelling and, and getting into each other because, hey, it's, it's the passion and it, it means they care and get it out in the open and all that. And it, it might be a positive. Um, if they get swept, it's, we're going to view that very differently. Howard, back with us, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. While we're talking about the uh, the Celtics, just to run, uh, we had David Locke, who I, I know you know, on earlier in the week, and he thinks that Jalen Brown will be the next big name to be moved because there aren't enough shots in Boston. What do you think about that theory? <laughs> Spicy take from our friend David Locke. Very much. Um. I'm not going to jump to anything like that. Um, Look, first of all, Celtics, like the Heat, have a really strong culture and a great front office, great leadership, and they did a great job in uh, in assembling this talent. Um, I do think that, yes, some tensions can be created when you've got that many guys who can do that much on their own and feel like they all need their shine and need room to grow. It's possible that that could break them up prematurely. I don't think that's where it'll go. I mean, look, it's hard to fully assess them right now because Gordon Hayward's been hurt, and when he gets back, it'll be even more of a log jam, but it'll also make them that much better, assuming he's back in this series. Um, If I'm spinning this forward, like where are they next season, if they need to create more opportunities, you know, for the long term, eventually it means, I think, moving Hayward, um, not moving the young guys. You want want Brown and Tatum together forever. Like two guys who are – you know, whatever that six eight six nine range, who are both, you know, big wingspan, can handle, can shoot, can defend, are versatile at the defensive uh, end, and especially in a game that keeps getting smaller and when where it's really important to be able to play multiple positions, guard multiple positions. There's no way, like you're doing everything possible to keep those guys together. And I think Jalen Brown also a really smart guy. I I don't sense that he's the kind who's going to be so impulsive as to say I got to have my own team somewhere. So, Howard, what do you make of the uh, the other series, the Nuggets and Lakers? Uh, the Nuggets have certainly shown a whole lot of heart and uh, maybe emerging before our eyes, uh, but the Lakers very talented. How do you see this one? Um, you know, people are all over the map on this one. I, I, I think it's going to be a tough series. I think the Lakers prevail because of the obvious, you know, when you start with LeBron and Anthony Davis, that's, 
you know, you were already so far ahead of the game. Um, I love the Nuggets' depth. I love their versatility. Um, you know, how can you not love what you've seen from Jokic? But the Lakers have, you know, I, I think, well, a couple different things here. Um, I don't know who's guarding LeBron. And this is where missing Will Barton could, could, could hurt them. But I, look, there's no one guy there who's going to be able to do much with him anyway. But is, is Michael Porter Jr. guarding LeBron? Yeah. Um, I, I, don't, I don't know who they're, they're throwing at. Maybe Paul Millsap's you know, going at LeBron. And, and you know, LeBron will probably you know, pull him out to the perimeter and then blow past him. Um, he's an impossible guard for them. Jokic is not is, – I mean, if they, depending on how the Lakers start this, and I think they'll start with a traditional center, maybe Dwight Howard, to bang on Jokic, and Jokic is not going to be able to move Dwight Howard. Um, or maybe they start JaVale McGee, but sub in Dwight Howard because just Dwight's stronger. But you, now you got Paul Millsap to guard Anthony Davis. Okay, that's fine. But Anthony Davis can put the ball on the floor and, and get past him. Um, eventually, then maybe they go small, and if Anthony, small in quote, quotations like Anthony Davis is not small, but if they decide to remove the center and have Anthony Davis play there, Jokic can't guard Anthony Davis. <laughs> um, so I think you know the Lakers' two best players. Are, not only are they both MVP caliber players, but they're guys that I don't think the Nuggets have the the personnel to really match up with. Um, that said, I, the Nuggets come at you in waves. It's a really deep team, and at any given moment, you know, Porter might drop 20, Jamal Murray might drop 30, Jokic will do his thing. I, I like, the, you know, all, all these other guys, Monty Morris. Like, they've just got a, a great collection of guys that I think is, is, is more uh, overall more options than what the Lakers bring to the table. And I think the Lakers, this is where they might really hurt or may really miss um, Avery Bradley because their, their backcourt is not great. And having to deal with Jamal Murray now, uh, and Gary Harris for that matter. I mean, they they need they need defense in the backcourt. Um, so I think it's I think it's Lakers in six. I've heard people suggest Lakers in five. Um, we'll see. Gordon and I have been arguing uh, about this for the past couple of days, Howard. But do you think that the the Nuggets' win in that series over the Clippers was more about what the Nuggets did, or more about what the Clippers did not do? It would be unfair to put this purely through the prism of the Clippers because I think the Nuggets, they've been bumping up against this for the last couple of years. Like, they've been a team that's been on the cusp of breaking through like this. And they've done a great job of drafting and of developing, adding pieces. Um, they're legitimately good. The Nuggets deserve to be where they are. But that said, as I often have told you guys, and we've discussed in this show, this is a league where talent dictates almost all outcomes, and the team with the best talent usually, or especially the best player, usually moves on. Now, we've already seen that that, that axiom fall apart a couple times, right? Giannis is the two-time MVP, and he's out. Um, but when you have Kawhi Leonard, the two-time finals MVP, and Paul George, you're supposed to win that series. And they had the kind of depth. They had a team that won 48 games before those guys even joined it. Um so I do think there's a lot to be said for the Clippers just never being truly tied together. Go back to what Steve Nash was saying about connectivity. The Clippers didn't have it. They never had it. And all season, you know, whether it was Paul George being out with the shoulder, uh, recovering from shoulder surgery, whether it was Kawhi Leonard, load management, um, whether it was when they got to the bubble and Lou Williams had to leave because of a death in the family, Montrez Harrell had to leave because of a death in the family, Pat Beverly had to, to leave because of, of, of personal reasons. They just it was such a choppy season for them, both before and after the shutdown. And and maybe there's more to it than that. Maybe it goes deeper. Maybe they just have some chemistry issues in that 
in that uh, locker room, um, they, they certainly played that way, that they did not seem tied together. And when your two stars uh, go as quiet as they did in that final game, you kind of wonder uh, what's going on with that team mentally. Howard, you mentioned Giannis wins his second uh, MVP award. Is he the best player in the NBA? No, LeBron is. And I don't even hesitate on that one because, you know, a year ago at this time, whether it was because Giannis was winning MVP and LeBron was injured and people were starting to think, well, maybe that's it. Maybe that's the last we'll see of LeBron at that level. Um, or Kawhi winning finals MVP and people saying now he's the best player on earth. Uh, Kevin Durant before he went down. And there was this, there's a, been a really big rush to say that, that there's a new best player in the NBA that, that, that is not LeBron. Um, the question is uh, the way I would look at it, and MVP is a different thing, by the way. MVP is who had the best season. You can be the second, third, or even fourth best player in the league and be the MVP. Russell Westbrook was MVP one year. I don't think anybody would have said, look at the entire NBA, who's the best player in the league. They wouldn't have said Russell Westbrook. He's, he's great, but he's not the best player in the league. He was the MVP that season. I didn't vote for him, but he was the MVP that season because he was viewed as having the best season and the most impactful season, the most valuable season. LeBron sometimes uh, paces his way through the season. He did not this year, to his credit, but in recent years has often paced his way through, and so his MVP campaign was hurt by that because you could tell he was kind of saving it for the playoffs. That's his option. Um, but if you were, if the question were phrased this way, because you asked who's the best player, if I have to win one game or one playoff series at the highest level, conference finals, finals, who am I picking? LeBron James, Kawhi Leonard, Giannis, Kevin Durant pre-injury, whoever it may be, uh, whoever else you want on that list, Steph Curry. I'm still picking LeBron. If it's one game, a game seven, or a series, it's it's still LeBron. Howard, thank you very much. As always, we really appreciate the insight and enjoy the basketball this weekend. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Thank you, Howard. That's our friend Howard Beck. Joins us each and every Friday, your daily assist. Brought to you by our friends at Lee's Heating and Air. Check them out online, leesheatac.com. Or, of course, give them a call today, 801-747-LEES. Uh, translation to uh, Howard's Clippers answer there, Gordon, I was right. <laughs> of course. he. Although he said you can't do that. That's uh, He was that just be... being nice to you. He was just okay. trying to be polite, <laughs> polite to the wrong answer there. Okay. I can you didn't hear that. that the same way? Oh, I'm surprised. <laughs> More next, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.